Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Best Pictures Podcast. This is Maggie, and I'm Ian. And on this episode, we're doing the 12th Best Picture winner, the epic Gone with the Wind. So I imagine most of you, at the very least, have heard of Gone with the Wind and have a vague idea of what it's about. Um, As a very quick synopsis, just in case, though, it is an epic historical drama that focuses on the life of Southern Belle, Scarlett O'Hara, and goes through her survival um, through the Civil War and the Reconstruction period and traces her life and her relationships with the various characters around her. Yeah. Um, So we are going to do this um, kind of an interesting way because it is so long there is an intermission in this movie. So we're going to kind of break up our discussion into the time period before the intermission, which is start of the Civil War through kind of half or I guess partially through the Civil War towards the end of the Civil War well yeah it's yeah I believe all the way through the end it hasn't quite ended yet but it's oh yeah. you're right but so, okay. so the, sorry that's okay but the part before <laughs> intermission and then we're going to look at that bit first um, because it does have a very distinct feel and character arc for the main character and then we're going to talk about the second half post intermission which is the very end of the Civil War through the Reconstruction period. Um, I'm going to run through really quickly the other nominations and awards that it won because there are a lot. Yes, there is a lot. (laughs) It was a record, I believe, 10 nominations at the time. Um, So it won Best Picture, obviously. Victor Fleming won for Best Director. Sidney Howard won for Best Adapted Screenplay. Clark Gable was nominated for Best Actor but lost to Robert Donat for Goodbye, Mr. Chips. Um, Vivian Leigh who plays Scarlett, won for Best Actress. Um, Hattie McDaniel won for Best Supporting Actress. She plays Mammy and is actually the first African-American to win um, an Academy Award. Oh, Mammy knows all. She deserved that win. Yes, Hattie Hattie McDaniel kills it. Oh, my gosh. Olivia de Havilland was also nominated for Best Supporting Actress. She plays Melly. It won for Best Color Cinematography. It won for Best Editing. It won for Art Direction. It was nominated... No... I can't believe, remember if it won or was nominated for Best Visual Effects. I think it won for Best Visual Effects. Mm-hmm. Um, it was nominated for Best Original Score by Max Steiner, but lost to The Wizard of Oz. I disagree with that decision. I think Gone with the Wind should have won, personally. Uh, well, I'm going to talk about score a ton in this one, yeah. because I, I'm a sucker for a Steiner score, and this is epitome of Steiner score. <laughs> Um, it also was nominated for Best Sound Recording, and then it won two special awards. One to William Cameron Menzies for Outstanding Achievement in the Use of Color for the Enhancement of Dramatic Mood. And then it won a Technical Achievement Award for Don Musgrave and um, Selznick International Pictures for Pioneering the Use of Coordinated Equipment in Production. I'm not surprised on either of those. No, it is very technically advanced. Yes. Now, I do have a question. Was there any special Oscar for best eyebrow expressions? Because I feel Vivian like... Lee Vivian Lee should have won. <laughs> yeah. Vivian Lee's eyebrows 100% deserve an Oscar. So really quickly, other nominees. Um, so Gone with the Wind, it came out in 1939. 1939 is kind of known as the greatest year in movies because you probably have either seen or at the very least will recognize most of the movies I'm about to list off that were nominated that year. And it's a crazy number of astoundingly good movies and classics. So Mm -hmm. Dark Victory, Goodbye Mr. Chips, Love Affair, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, Nunochka of Mice and Men, Stagecoach, The Wizard of Oz, 
and Wuthering Heights. Yeah. I have seen, hold on, one, two, three, four, five of those. I've seen two. Which ones? Wizard of Oz and Gone with the Wind. <laughs> oh. Well, I guess I've seen six if we're counting Gone with the Wind. I think we actually may do a special for 1939. That would, we'll oh, have to see. I so. actually really like that idea. Um, it is a 1930s film set during the Civil War in the antebellum South. There definitely are some problems with the way that African-American characters are written, for sure. Uh, and I, quite frankly, that is existent in the source material, too. In my mind... And this may be a little bit of a controversial opinion. This movie is not about the Civil War. It is about a group of people, particularly like Scarlet, but in general, a group of people who were at the top of their societal societal structure, have their entire world wiped away, and who is able to survive it, and who is able to thrive after it. You know, that being said, there are problems with the way some of the African-American characters are written. Hattie McDaniel 100% transcends those problems with her performance. Now, in that same vein, I also don't want it to be lost that Scarlett O'Hara comes from, as Maggie said, like the top of the social strata and is given tremendous privileged access to a bunch of post-war areas that allow her to continue to thrive. So she is strong in of herself, but not in a vacuum. Yeah, so... With that said, let's start. Let's jump into that first half. First thing I noticed was, oh my God, we're finally in Technicolor. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So not the first Technicolor nominee, but the first Technicolor to win. Yes. Now I did think it was funny. The very opening scenes, they were a bunch of these pastoral shots of different parts of As like the credits are rolling. Exactly. And I was kind of like, oh, you're just showing off your Technicolor Okay, but here's the thing that I had never thought about before because I've actually seen this movie tons and tons of times. I think the first time I saw it, I was like five or six. Mm-hmm. Like, But watching it from the podcast, I definitely was watching from like a different lens, which is why Ian and I go back and rewatch these movies for the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the most dynamic credit scene I think we've had yet. Yeah, it's simple, but again, it if it hasn't been done before, it's right, still... Right, but like there's... And I, I don't know if it hadn't been done before, but definitely of Best Picture nominees. Like it's, it's not just like the flat kind of title card and like... Mm-hmm. Uh, cast list but it's like over moving images and mm-hmm. like it's technicolor images yeah too. moving technicolor images and it's like i don't know it's very dynamic and felt very modern in some ways yes not completely modern but like you it's could, getting there yeah you could you you could see like where things were headed right and then immediately after that you get introduced to our main character well we have this really cool title card so oh sorry <laughs> no worries um so you know we've talked about like title cards and interstitials in the past that have been kind of establishing setting and like a little bit of the story and kind of how those are sometimes necessary and sometimes unnecessary i loved them in this one i think they're important in this one i think epics is when they kind of become important because mm-hmm. you are often like kind of jumping time period a little bit but um the, the ones in this in particular it's quotes from the book exactly and that ties it to the source material yes. which i appreciate yes and um because this book was you know we don't often talk about the source material a whole lot with this um i think we'll talk about it with this one a little bit more because it was very important because the book was a huge international bestseller and like when they decided to do the movie it was a huge deal which is why they were able to get the funding to do a lot of the really cool things that they did mm-hmm. so because of the subject matter and the time in which it was made, I'm willing to give it a pass. But 
I think throughout the whole film, there's still this nagging voice at the back of my head that's like, it's romanticizing this without any, without dealing with the fact that this dream world existed on the back of a subjugated class of people. Yeah, I mean, so, like for me, we, I'm we know that with, now, but like it was also again made in the 30s, so that's right. not something they're likely to really address. I completely agree, yeah. but the slavery issue is still like throughout the whole film was in the back yeah, of my well, mind. Well, I mean, honestly, like I think people who have a problem with the movie, that's probably their biggest problem with the movie. Yeah, which like is completely fair. So now we get the introduce introduction to Scarlet, and mm-hmm. she has is flanked by. Are they just brothers or are they twins? They're twins. They, okay, I'm like they look like twins, um, but you can tell that she has these two guys wrapped around her finger, mm-hmm. and this is I think the perfect introduction for Scarlet as a character because she is this em- she is emblematic of this youth full like draw of all the male characters around her yes and you can tell that she works it to her advantage as much as she can Mm -hmm. well and it also establishes this like really wonderful thing about at least the early part of scarlet's character because we see her change we see her both change an extraordinary amount throughout the movie but then there are certain things that also stay very much the same with her. She and, has some base desires that do not change and base yes. drives. And Scarlet is very self-centered in a yeah. certain way. And now that self-centeredness often will expand to people who she considers, you know, her family and her responsibility. But Scarlet is very centered on Scarlet. She is centered on what is going on in her world. Right. Because this first conversation is they're talking about the war, of course, meaning the civil war. So this is, you know, right before the war is about to start. And they're, you know, of course, being all brash, like, don't you want a war and all this stuff? And she's like, oh, war is stupid. It's ruining all the parties. Like all the war talk is ruining all the parties. And I love it because like Scarlet's, Scarlet's always not wrong. She's never quite right though, (laughs) which I think is kind of fun. So like, she's not wrong. Like war is stupid. But, like, the reason it's stupid to her is because it's ruining all the parties. Like, right. we should be talking about Scarlet. Why are we talking about war? Exactly. But you also get an introduction to her father mm-hmm. after Well, we scene. also learn her love interest, which oh, is right. Ashley Wilkes, played which, by Leslie Howard. The way Vivian Lee acts this particular yes. scene. Because, basically, she finds out that, word on the street, Ashley's going to be engaged to Melanie Hamilton, who Scarlet does not like. And Scarlet is not good enough to deserve, no, as we will say later. <laughs> Scarlet, because Scarlet loves Ashley, of course. So she gets upset about that and run, like, kind of runs away from the two guys. And they're like, I wonder what we said. <laughs> but then we get to meet her father. Who, he's Irish, mm-hmm. I believe. And it's, it cracks me up. He's like running and jumping on his horseback. And yeah. I, let me back up. He is on horseback, and the horse is doing the running and jumping. Yes, yes. And um, Scarlett's kind of admonishing him because he previously hurt his knee. And she's like, "You shouldn't be jumping." And he's like, "You can't tell me what to do." And we get the idea that like Scarlett, personality-wise, is very much like her father. Mm-hmm. Like she is pretty jovial. She knows what she wants. She goes after it. She's stubborn. She's going to say what she wants to say. Mm-hmm. Like that's who she is. And we see that she gets that from her father and that they have a very nice relationship. They do. It's very sweet. Mm -hmm. And she's like, oh, Ashley, Ashley, Ashley. And then I think Pa actually confirms the rumor. Yes, he confirms it. And then she's really upset about it. And basically he goes through this thing where first off, he's like, are you running after someone who isn't in love with you? Are you making a spectacle of yourself? But then (laughs) he, 
he kind of says something that it's this is very true but it takes the entire four hours for Scarlett to realize this, this entire movie for her to realize this. And that's that he's like, even if Ashley wanted to marry you, I would say no, because you two are not a personality match. And, you know, we see that throughout the movie. And it, like I said, it's something that takes the entire movie for Scarlett to realize, but you see that. And it's so in like indicative of their relationship and how well they know each other, but also how, there are things about Scarlet that Scarlet does not understand. Like oh, she, she's very, I think, very intelligent and very in tune to at least how to manipulate other people. But she has not a lot of clue about herself. <laughs> right. um, and they also give this, um, they get into an argument kind of about the, the plantation because she has no brothers. Her dad's like, I'll be leaving it to you as the oldest and all this stuff. And she's like, I don't want Tara. The plantation's called Tara. And she's like, I don't care about it. Because she's being pouty. And of course, then Gerald, her dad, gives this whole speech about, like, land's the only thing that lasts, is the only thing that matters. And we have the first of our beautiful shots. Yes. So it's them backlit with this beautiful sunset sunrise type Uh sky. Yeah. Overlooking the plantation as you have the main theme swell. If you've not heard the main theme of Gone with the Wind, look it up. It will bring tears to your eyes yes. because it is a beautiful theme. And I think this was one of the scenes that garnered that special award because you get the color and then even the composite shot mm-hmm. that this was made of heightening the emotional impact of this yes. particular scene. And like Tara is where it is. Yeah. Well, and the thing is too, this movie uses lighting so well. Like yes. the way they use light and shadow is really cool and it's, I mean, it's it's something that you that I have always especially loved about black and white films is that I was like, oh, you can do such like cool things with like shadow and stuff. But mm-hmm. like, I think you lose it some later as like Technicolor becomes more the norm. But I think Gone with the Wind very much has that like old school black and white use of lighting and shadow. Yeah. With the Technicolor, like I I don't know, I feel like it's like the perfect blend of two styles almost. I do like it. Well, and again, a product of the time. Yes. But my one complaint here with that transition is that you go from this like midday, bright, sunny, whatever, whatever, and then immediately it's like sunset. <laughs> don't worry about it. Yeah. I Continuity is a big thing for me. Don't worry, who cares? Don't worry about it. It was a long chat. Like five hours? Yeah. Scarlett was really upset about the whole Ashley thing. And then, okay, but continuity, then we cut to her getting ready for this Oh, I'm no, sorry. We this have is dinner. like another day. Yes, yes, exactly. So my bad. Um, that night we are introduced now to. So we got a brief introduction to Mammy earlier, and we're going to see a little bit more of Mammy. Um, but then we get introduced to Scarlett's mom, who is very like contained and regal, and clearly not who Scarlett takes after. Right. And um, she comes into the house and kind of admon- fires the overseer basically, um, because he had had an extramarital affair, which resulted in. I'm assuming it was like a sharecropper's daughter or something. It was, they call her white trash. And they make sure you know it. Yes. They, so every again, time they refer to this character, she's the white trash slattery girl. Exactly. And again, slattery is her last name, but yeah. Yeah. And this goes back to the, they're at the top of their social yes. structure and classism it's a very, is totally It a is thing. a very strict <laughs> social structure too, yes. for sure. But it resulted in a child. The child has apparently died and, um, but it establishes that Ellen O'Hara, Scarlett's mom, is very much involved with, like, the poor and, like, helping nurse people and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And we inter- are introduced to her two younger sisters, Sue Ellen and Karine. I don't mind Karine, but Sue Ellen can go jump off a cliff. <laughs> Sue Ellen is such a brat. 
<laughs> she's such a brat. But, you know, they're kind of more superficial characters. And we have this uh, bit where they're all praying before dinner. And, of course, everyone else is... Ellen's leading the prayer. Everyone else is praying. And Scarlet is just... Scarlet is thinking about Scarlet. Well, and she's babbling out loud to herself during okay, the prayer. here's the thing, though. <laughs> I'm not usually a fan of the whole, like, I'm going to monologue to nobody, but I 100% believe that Vivian Lee as Scarlet will monologue to herself. Well, she's got to talk her way if through any, it. Yeah, well, okay, I'm sorry, but, like, the only person who I've... Like, only actor I've ever seen 100% pull that off in a way that I was, like, I'm 100% fine with this and actually, like, behind it is Vivian Lee. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. It works for me because of the character and because of her performance. Yeah. She pulls it off. But yeah. So basically she decides that she's going to tell Ashley that she loves him because the only reason he doesn't want to marry her is because he doesn't know that she loves her. Like, Obviously. Because of course he does love her. I mean, she's Scarlett O'Hara. Yeah. Um, so going to the next day. She's getting ready to go yes. eat barbecue with the twins. That yeah. was how they had well, left. Well, so yeah, there's previous. a barbecue at Twelve Oaks, which is the plantation that Ashley Wilkes's family yes. um, owns. So she's like, "There's a big barbecue, and you know, in those days, it was like when you were had a party, you had a party. Like you threw a barbecue, and then in the afternoon, the guys would go chat and." talk politics and smoke cigars and the women would take a nap which, which can we bring that back can please? we please bring back naps from the men too yes <laughs> yes you can start napping too equal um, we're equal opportunity nappers awesome um but and then you'd have a ball in the evening mm -hmm. so getting ready for that i love this scene so much and with mammy yes this oh. is where we really establish mammy and scarlet's relationship and like i Throughout the entire film, I think the only person who 100% understands Scarlet, including Scarlet, is Mammy. Mm -hmm. Like, she understands exactly what drives her. She understands how to get her. She's the only person who's capable of manipulating Scarlet, too. Yeah. Now, Scarlet does get her way a little bit. Like, yes. with the dress I that think she's that's, wearing. That's always oh the thing, is that, like, with Mammy and Scarlet, it's always a bit of a give and take. Like, yes. Scarlet never gets 100% what she wants, but Mammy always makes sure that it's, like, reined in a little bit. And the thing that I love with the give and take is in the same scene. Yes, so Scarlet's, Scarlet's like, getting ready for the barbecue eat because whatever, I'm gonna go eat in front of these men. They won't care that I'm pigging out. And Mammy's like, uh, uh, no, no, you need to eat a little bit so you eat like a yeah. bird because yeah. apparently that's <laughs> apparently, more feminine. Yeah, apparently you can always tell a lady as she eats like a bird. Whatever. Yeah, I don't know. But um, it's it's this really kind of cool scene in Scarlett's bedroom. Mammy's like lacing up her corset and um, Scarlett wants to wear an afternoon dress, which would have been a big no. And it was low cut. And I love that Mammy's like, you can't show your bosom before, uh, what is it? 10 o'clock. <laughs> well, and she kept pulling the dress down Yeah. Mammy too. keeps pulling the dress up, trying to like get the neckline a little higher and Scarlett's pulling it down. And that's when Mammy's like, you know, you need to eat before you go. And Scarlett's like, no, like I'm going to eat. Um, Ashley says he likes to see a girl with a healthy appetite. And I love Mammy's response. And she mm. goes, well, I don't see him asking to marry you. Oh, and it stops Scarlet cold. Can manipulate the shit. Yes. And oh, the Scarlet. look on Hattie McDaniel's face too. Because Vivian Lee like stops. Because she's like flouncing out of the room, stops. And does the really slow, like angry eyebrow raised turn. And you just see Hattie McDaniel smiling back at her and it's just this look on her face like i know i got you <laughs> and of course then scarlet immediately like throws her umbrella or her parasol throws it sits down and starts angrily just shoving food in her mouth 
It was so attractive. Oh, it's so, but it's uh, it's Vivian Lee. She's gorgeous. Everything she does oh, yeah. is gorgeous. Okay. So yeah, yeah. next we move to the barbecue and we see more of like Scarlett um, is very popular with everybody or she's very popular with the men, not so popular with the women. Oh, I love the scene with her sitting down and she has the gaggle of guys around mm-hmm. her and she gets to be like, hmm, who is going to be honored and blessed to go get me some, I think it was like tea or something. Or dessert, I think. Dessert, yeah. Yeah. And oh, she gives it to, was it Wilkinson? Was no, his uh, Charles Hamilton, Hamilton who is... You. Melanie Hamilton's brother. So we are also introduced to Melanie Hamilton, who is played by Olivia de Havilland. And Melanie is this super sweet, generous, gracious person um, and Ashley's fiance. And Scarlett is like determined to get a rise out of her, but can't. Okay, here's the thing with Melly. She is not a real person, one. Two, she is too good for literally anybody in that movie. <laughs> and three, like, can we just say sainthood for Melly? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's literally a shot later where like she is lit like a saint. Yes. Um, but basically, you have um, the men. You know, we we're also introduced to Rhett Butler, mm-hmm. of course, played by Clark Gable, who, with his salacious reputation. Yes, he has a terrible <laughs> reputation. Um, and you know, later when the men are smoking and talking politics, and basically Rhett kind of makes everyone angry by flat out saying like I don't think the South can win Mm -hmm. because of like we don't have cannon factories and like all this stuff and um I love the line where someone's like well what difference does that make to a gentleman and he goes it's gonna make a lot of difference to a lot of gentlemen and I think that's kind of where we get the first bit where this actually reminded me a lot at least the first half of All Quiet on the Western Front Mm -hmm. and kind of you know again this is 1939 so like not like world war ii's kind of like started in europe but the u.s isn't quite into in it yet and there's still like that pacifist tendency because a lot of people are pointing back to world war one and so i think in a lot of ways this is an anti-war film yeah um particularly seen through rhett's character Mm -hmm. um but that's where we get kind of the first bit of that and then um scarlet kind of confesses her love to ashley it does not go well (laughs) the scene was i I love this because she's like pouring her heart out as much as scarlet ever does to Ashley and he's like nope sorry not gonna happen and she slaps him here's the thing though it's like he turns her down but he's never like I don't love you I love Melanie he's like of course I love you but I have to marry Melanie because of honor and like all this stuff and like she understands me but he'll he'll never flat out tell Scarlett that like I don't love you which I feel like is a problem throughout the whole movie because it keeps that like little shred of hope alive for Scarlett that she's like but he does love me yes which is really bad for her character in the long run yeah it's bad for both of them in the long run it's bad for everybody in the long run but i loved the way he acted that part immediately after she slaps him the 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 expression on his face that was completely blank gives that pause and without a word strolls out calmly is the best response ever you could give to Mm -hmm. scarlet to piss her off because yes. she wants a rise because yes. so, she wants to manipulate So she you. throws like a little china vase across the room, which we then find out that Rhett Butler has been lounging um, out of view on the couch. And he like pops up and has that like uh, wonderful line where he whistles and goes, has the war started? <laughs> and she was like, why didn't you make yourself known? Well, why would I yeah, not listen to such a juicy yeah, conversation? He was like, why would I interrupt <laughs> that lovely scene? Um, so we get the first bit of like, tension between red and scarlet it's very clear that like because she calls him she's like you are no gentleman and he goes and you madam are no lady and so you get that like first bit of like tension between their characters and you can tell that like red kind of likes her and scarlet's like i hate you well and i also think he's one of the few people that both sees and is willing to tell scarlet 
that you are no lady because yes she comes from the genteel class she doesn't act those standards exactly her conduct is very much beneath what you see melanie or melly's Mm -hmm ideal ladyhood Which as. is, I think it's part of the reason I love the movie and I love the character of Scarlet is that she is such an interesting, nuanced, you know, female protagonist or mm-hmm. protagonist, anti-hero. She kind of rides that line a bit. Well, yeah, because then it's some days you relate to Melanie, other it's days you relate, I relate to Scarlet. Scarlet. <laughs> um, the past time we viewed this, I related to Scarlet. So <laughs> that that's the version we're going to be getting on this, this podcast. Um, but, you know, she's... As a character, she's almost a little bit pre-code because she is a woman who behaves badly and doesn't mm-hmm. really get super punished for it. I'm sure that you would have been able to spin the she lost her entire plantation and her father yeah. and her mother. And sorry to get ahead of ourselves. Yeah, but Spoilers. That, that, it, it, that's um, wrapped kind of in the historical context too. But I don't. I don't know. I just I love her character. I love that she's like different and that she's not necessarily a good person yeah but that she does some very noble things even if it's not usually for a noble reason like there's just well and it raises the question of what matters more your intent or your actions yeah like she's she's just so nuanced and so well written and well acted and i think you know for the people who really love this movie i think that's a huge part of it Mm -hmm. is her character um and then of course the supporting characters that fill in around her and really like allow that character to be dynamic and to mm-hmm. like shine um is great and one of those being red yeah so after this scene <laughs> this cracks me up so we get the first taste of the length that scarlet is willing to go to get what she yes. wants so, so the sh- first off the war starts yeah. and we have this beautiful scene because previously scarlet was kind of hiding under the staircase as these other women were coming down it and like most of them were talking were like smack talking scarlet but melly's defending her which, again, Scarlet, you don't deserve Melanie. <laughs> Lay that out there. <laughs> um, and, you know, there's a beautiful shot of, like, Scarlet kind of tearing up under the staircase and crying a little bit. But then you have, you know, the women walk by and Scarlet kind of starts to move towards the staircase to go back upstairs. And the war is broken out and news has arrived and everyone is, like, whooping and hollering and, like, running around and, like, being all excited about it. And, and you have Dixie in the background, too. Yeah, you have Dixie, oh. the song Dixie playing. But you have Scarlet just wiping away her her tears and like head high walking up that staircase as all the other people are coming down it and are like caught up in like the political news and like what's going on in the world around them. And Scarlet is, Scarlet cares about Scarlet. And I just, I love that shot because it's a beautiful shot. And it's also just like, it drives home that Scarlet cares about herself. Yes. It tells you so much about her character. And I think this movie is so great at telling you things about characters and like situations and stuff without, telling you Mm -hmm. stuff about them um but yes as ian said we are willing to see kind of i I would say almost the spite level of scarlet um, so because she agrees to marry melly's brother yes so now she's like in the same family as ashley yeah yeah (laughs) which not the best idea not healthy for anybody um and then of course uh charles her husband number one <laughs> dies of i think it's pneumonia she gets a letter yeah following like measles yeah or something poor charles get your kids vaccinated yes anyway anyway <laughs> um and scar we have this other really cool scene that we see of with scarlet's character and it's another good like scarlet mammy scene too it's very short but um she's dressed in the widow's like get up all black like very simple she's got her hair in a very simple bun and she's like putting on the bonnet and she hates it 
So she, again, Scarlet cares about herself yes. and is not a lady. She does not want to wear black. She no. does not want to look no, like quote unquote a widow. Well, shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then she pulls out this like she like looks. No one's around. She pulls out this very brightly colored bonnet and starts putting it on. And you can tell that she's like really loving the way she's looking in it. And Mammy comes in and is like, "What are you doing? You are in mourning. You can't do that." And Scarlet's like, "I don't want to be in mourning." She was like, "I'm too young to be a widow." Yes. Oh, and then there's this beautifully sweet scene between her mother yeah. and her where her, her mom's, mom's like, like, I get it. Like, it's a... only right to want to be young when you're young. Yeah, no, and it's <laughs> it's a really, like, beautiful scene there and, like, with their relationship because you don't actually see a lot of Scarlet's mom, but what little you see, you get a very strong sense of her character and, like, mm-hmm. her relationship with Scarlet and how much she means to Scarlet. Yes. Um, And so, basically, she's like, would you want to go away for a while? And she's like, suggest Savannah. And Scarlet's like, I don't want to go to Savannah. And she's like, what about Atlanta you could go visit Melanie and Scarlett's like Ashley but she's like she's like yes (laughs) Melanie I will go visit Melanie and then she goes stays with her aunt pity pat yes what the hell kind of nickname is that I don't know it's fine I love it it's so fitting for that character though she's a very nervous character she's always looking for her smelling salts oh my goodness faints way too much but so you know cut to Atlanta there's a fundraiser going on And there's a fun shot of Scarlett, like, I guess, manning this booth or something. And she's, you know, on her morning get up and she's like kind of pouting her chin on her hands. And then you can see her feet behind the booth, Mm -hmm. like dancing. The way they panned down to seeing her skirts pulled up just enough to see her feet was, I I really liked how they were able to show that transition. Um, And of course, Red Butler arrives and Red Butler is now a hero because he's been blockade running. Yes. But much like Scarlett. Red is interested in Red. Oh, yeah. So he's been doing it for the profit because he and Scarlet have this exchange where she's like, oh, I'm surprised that you're, you're like a war hero now. It's good to see that you approve of the cause. And he's <laughs> like, oh, I'm my only cause, hun. Like, Oh, yeah. Yeah. But this is another, that interaction with Rhett, Scarlet, and, and then Melanie. Melly's in this scene mm-hmm. as well. I love. So they have a, a guy coming around collecting gold for the war chest. And Melly, who you absolutely believe she's doing this selflessly, is like, I'm going to give my wedding well, Because basically because... they're in mourning. They're not wearing any jewelry. So they have nothing to give but well, their wedding bands. No, Melly, Melly's not in mourning at this point. She's also wearing mourning, yes. Oh, she is? Oh, because it was her brother. Yeah, it was her brother. Right. Yeah. And so she was like, it may it do more good off my finger than on it for my yeah. husband. Which and I'm like, Red like, gives like a gold cigar case and yes. stuff. He's like, oh, since the ladies have nothing to give. Mm-hmm. like, But it cracks me up that uh, Scarlet's like, yes, I can get rid of my wedding band and it looked like a noble thing. Okay, so <laughs> this is actually the one change made from the book that I kind of wish they hadn't done. Really? Like, I think I think that scene for sure works um, mm-hmm. because of the reasons you were talking about and it's very cool for Melly's character. In the book, Scarlet's the one who gives her wedding ring first. Interesting. Yeah, so like they don't have anything to give, and then Scarlet kind of sees her wedding ring on her finger, and she it's like kind of her act of defiance. And then Melly's like does it too, and she's like, Oh, I would have never been brave enough to do it if you hadn't. And of course, Rhett and Scarlet both know exactly why she did that. And <laughs> Melly's like, No, it was so brave and noble. Um, so I I like both of those versions though, yeah. but for different reasons. Completely agree. Yeah. I'm I'm okay with the change, but yeah. Yeah. Um so well, they do decide to do basically like an auction to see who can lead, you know, the, I think it's the Virginia reel is the mm-hmm. dance. Um, 
rent bids for Mrs. Charles Hamilton, and, a.k.a. Scarlet. Oh, my God. Okay, this is where uh, Aunt Pity Pat apparently gets her reputation because she's like, oh, my God, she's also, in mourning. question. Sorry, real quick, because it's led by a character called Dr. Mead, who is the side character who I absolutely love. That was the judge in the You Can't Take It With You, right? We need was to look that up. Was it the same character? Okay, sorry. But I love him anyway. Yeah, he's great. And if he's in both, I love him in both. So. Yes, he's phenomenal. <laughs> um, but yeah, so basically, um, Dr. Mead, the character running the auction, is like, she's in mourning, she won't consider it. And then Scarlet pipes up with, oh, yes, I will. It's for a good cause, obviously. Yeah. And I love how Scarlet is, well... I love it because I love to see her cunning, but it's also like, hmm, you are not the nicest person. She's able to twist the what all of the characters around her view is the noble causes, the mm-hmm. war, and twist it to do things that she wants. Yes, exactly, because Scarlet wants to dance. Oh, absolutely. Like, she's so sick of being a widow. She wants to be out there. She wants to be dancing. She wants to be having fun. Mm-hmm. And Rhett gave her that opportunity. And I, it, I love that it's always, like, Rhett always knows because there's oh, another yeah. bit too where she's like kind of flirting with him and he calls her out <laughs> on it too. And he's like, I think it's don't pull that Southern Belle simper with me. Cause he knows. Yeah, he knows. Um, and so it's, you know, there's some nice banter with them dancing. Mm-hmm. And then I, I guess the next bit we should probably talk about is when Ashley comes home for Christmas, yes. I believe. And the only yes. reason that's of vital importance is because Melly becomes pregnant. Yes. And that is a key plot. Point when Atlanta begins burning, which if you yes. haven't, it's like spoiler alert, <laughs> spoiler Atlanta, alert. Burns. <laughs> Atlanta burns to the ground. Um, so yeah, so Ashley comes home for Christmas. It's very clear that like Scarlet's still very much in love or thinks she's very much in love with him. I think Scarlet's very much in love with the idea of Ashley. Yes. I think that's and this it. is where I almost feel pity for her because half of her is still stuck in this delusion that she's going to be with Ashley and it's going to be amazing. And yeah. Don't do it. Not a good idea. No. It would not turn out well for anybody. Exactly. It's kind of like the delusion of the Old South in a little bit. I feel like yeah. her, her, she's in love with the idea of Ashley. And it's kind of the idea that, you know, even after the war, a lot of those, the people are in love with the idea of the Old South, like, without recognizing the problems and stuff. I mean, I'm sure the people who were at the top missed it. Oh, For yeah. sure. But like, you know, without it's it's the idea of like idealizing something and not actually recognizing the reality of it and the issues of it. And, you know, throughout the film, Scarlet, I think, is very much realistic about a lot of things. Ashley is not one of them. Mm -hmm. Interesting to see her one weak point there. Yeah. But we, you know, we start, you know, to see the war actually coming to Atlanta and coming to Georgia. Yes. Um, And Scarlet becomes, I believe, a nurse. Yeah, she in... she and Melly are both nurses mm-hmm. in this hospital that is located in a church. Um, Which I loved how they had this gorgeous stained glass of Jesus. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure it was Jesus. Yeah, in the stained glass overlooking all of the injured and dying men. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it it slowly there's a couple of scenes with them like at the hospital, and it just becomes very clear that like Melly is Melly's there. There's one part I think where Scarlet's like, Melly, aren't you tired? And she's like. No, I'm not tired because I'm this could be Ashley. Well, she's like, this could be Ashley. Yeah. Um, and you just really get to see what a pure soul Melly is. Because well, I don't think it's the cause that Melly, like, I think she, you know, she says the word the cause, but I think what she's, I think Melly's there because she's like, this could be Ashley and I would want somebody to be doing that for him. Like, I yeah. think it's that basic for her. Well, and there's another scene just outside of the hospital too with a, um, oh, what was her name? Belle Watling. Watling. <laughs> 
Watlin, Watley. It's Watling, but she Watling. says Watlin. Mm. That's that's the <laughs> accent they have her doing. But Belle... in general, though, accents in this film are pretty much on point. Yeah, I um, was really happy. That yeah, they I was going to say Ian and I. Impressive. I grew up in Georgia. Ian grew up in Georgia and Kentucky. Like and like Vivian Lee killed it, and she's British. So whoever they had as their dialogue coach for her, like props. Oh yeah. I definitely enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, basically Belle is a madam who owns a brothel and she wants to donate money and like everyone's turned her away because they're like, we don't want your money. Right. But Melly's like, no, we'll take it. Like, it's so, just as good as anyone else's. Right. And this is the first act of kindness that you see Melly give to Belle, mm-hmm. which is given back in spades yes, later on in the yes. second half. And so, you know, as... Uh, the war continues on. There's um, a scene where we can tell, like, you know, Rhett's been coming and visiting Scarlet and, like, bringing her gifts. I think mm-hmm. he brings her, like, this green bonnet and stuff. Um, from Paris. Yes, that she later wears <laughs> at the train station um, right. when Ashley comes home from Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, because she's like, I wouldn't dare wear it. And he's like, oh, yeah, you will. And she does. And <laughs> Rhett gets very upset because he can tell that she still loves Ashley. And as he storms out, He's like, you know, one way or another, this war is going to be decided soon. There's a battle going on in a little town in Pennsylvania. And she's like, is Ashley in it? And he's like, oh, yes, whatever. Like, I can't believe you still love him and storming out. She's like, what's the name of the place? And he's like, Gettysburg. And this next bit, I always tear up and I always get chills because mm-hmm. it, you know, cuts to, I think there's a title card that explains a little bit about Gettysburg. And then it's everyone waiting at the train station for these casualty lists yes which because we watched this with actually um several friends because we were like it's a long movie so we'll have a little watch party and like (laughs) order in pizza at intermission um but one of our friends noted um which i thought was funny he was like that's kind of weird that they have like the paper list they're handing out but then we're all like but how else would they know yeah and this is where I love how you can see the difference between how Melly and how Scarlet react to this list. So Scarlet is like feverishly reading down the W, uh, W's, right? Yeah, the W's because um, their last name, Ashley's last name is Wilkes. Well, and Melly, I think, says like, can you read it? I can't look. Yeah. And Scarlet is immediately relieved that Ashley is, you know, not dead. And yeah. Melly interprets this as her like being so thankful for, for Melly. Because, which if it were anybody but Melly, I would think that was selfish. But it's no, Melly really believes that everyone is just as good and pure as she is. Yes, yes. And, you know, you get kind of right before I think they're reading the list, you get this, this is a shot that always makes me tear up. It's this woman in all black holding the list and like walking over to what I assume is her husband, who's like the conductor for the military band. Mm -hmm. And she's crying and holding the list. And you can tell that he just understands that like their son or potentially multiple sons Mm -hmm are dead and turns and like strikes up the band and they start playing Dixie. But like the, you know, it's a lot of like very young boys and they're all crying. Yes. And they're like crying as they're like playing and oh, that always gets me. And then, you know, Melly, after she finds out that Ashley's safe, she sees uh, the doctor and his wife in the carriage crying and realizes that they've lost their son. And her love, her response is she just goes, I must go to her. Yeah. Cause she's like, let me go support them. Yeah, um, and Rhett comes over to talk to Scarlett, and he's like, you know, dude, you know anyone was else on the list? And she's like, basically everyone in the county lost somebody. And I think it's like both the Tarleton twins died, so the two guys she was talking to at the beginning. And again, I this is one of those scenes where I was like, you get the anti-war here, because mm-hmm. th- this and then the scene that I'm going to talk about at the train station, it just drives home that idea of like, what a waste the Civil War was. Like, you had 
people fighting over a bad system and like the fact that so many people had to die because like people were defending a terrible institution is right. heartbreaking. Yeah. So moving on a little bit, and I think I, I'm going to jump a little bit. Ahead. Yeah. Let's 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 we'll um, go to when Sherman's sieging the city. I yes, think, yes, that's exactly okay. where I was going to yeah. head. So that beautiful stained glass that we have, I loved this transition. Oh, so good. You have something fly through the stained glass and break it. Oh uh, yeah, I'm assuming like a some sort of artillery, right? But the preacher who's like in the foreground, and he doesn't react at no. all. And so yeah, oh, both so the symbolism of the that breaking down and seeing it's like almost like the church is failing. I don't know. Well, it's just like the idea that like church is supposed to be theoretically a safe place. It's a church mm-hmm. and a hospital. Like it's supposed to be a safe place, and but like it's not. no, like the war the war is still here, and you have like you know a bunch of injured screaming men around. They've asked her to come be the nurse for an amputation where there is no more chloroform yeah this scene was i think yeah. very well done yeah the shot before the amputation oh i used I, to have nightmares about this when i was little but they the beauty of it is they don't oh, show a thing no so, they just show shadows exactly so the use of that lighting yeah. to show so them they, like getting ready to cut into yeah, this guy's and then leg it cuts to before anyone cuts yes and he's screaming like don't cut please don't mm-hmm. cut and it Ah. Oh my god, it like gives me very bad chills every single time. But then it like cuts to a, a Vivian Lee standing in the doorway and all the lighting's a very like red and yellow hue and like it's very mm-hmm. more not... use of technicolor to yeah. heighten emotion. Yes, effects. it's very just like not pleasant mm-hmm. um color palette and you see just the look of horror on her face and I love that they had like it's also clearly like incredibly hot it's like the summer in atlanta Mm -hmm. which can get pretty bad Uh, yes Um, from experience yes yes. pretty bad um and you just see the look of horror on her face and then she just turns and leaves and um there's gosh where is it there's a quote that is written oh yes over the doorway of the church as she leaves and it says peace be within thy walls and i yeah i just thought that was such a nice touch um but she runs out into the street. It's the evacuation of Atlanta because Sherman's sieging the city. He's about to break through. And just, I don't I don't know how in the world they did this scene. But it is so well choreographed. Because it's pure chaos of, like, people running around and trying to get out. There's, like, horses and carts. Vivian Lee almost got hit by one of the carts, like, She's when they were filming like it. running around. Yeah, because oh. there's no stunt doubles. This is all her. But some of the angles they used. So the one that I'm thinking of, it's... They they must have had the camera sitting on or oh, very the, low yeah, to the, the ground. Oh, yeah, the low angles. And you're looking up at her, and you're seeing her flustered, not knowing where to go. And then at the very last second, as Maggie said, she almost got hit. She just, like, runs out of the way of this train of horses that then goes by with a carriage. And the way you feel so small and so, un- like, you can't do anything about all the crazy stuff yeah. that's going on except run out of the way. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's brilliantly shot. And... Uh, she basically has decided, she's like, I'm leaving. Yeah. Like, I'm gone. I don't care anymore. And she gets home and her Aunt Pity Pat is also fleeing. And she's like, hold up, I'm coming with you. And this is where we find out that Melly's pregnant because I think Aunt Pity Pat makes like a, some comment about how they can't take Melly with, with them. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, don't fucking care. I'm out of here. <laughs> Wait for me. And as she goes into the house, she hears... Melly calling her upstairs and she's in labor and Melly's in labor point. and previously during the Christmas scene Ashley had asked Scarlett to take care of Melly for him mm-hmm. and Scarlett had agreed begrudgingly but agreed 
And we see, it's again, Scarlet doing something. One, it's kind of taking care of her people to a certain extent, but it's also her making a decision that is in and of itself kind of a noble decision, but not necessarily for the right reasons. Right. She's she, doing it because of Ashley, not yes. because of Melly. Yes, she's doing it because she loves Ashley, but not because she loves Melly. And she basically decides that she's going to stay and help Melly. And she sends Prissy, who is the, um, yeah, she would have been a slave at this point still because it's civil war. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Now, I do want to point out, as Maggie told me after the fact, Prissy's supposed to be like 12 or yeah, something in the like book, that. Yeah, in the book, she's really young. Um, Butterfly McQueen obviously isn't 12. So like it makes it a little odd and it makes Prissy just seem like very not simple is the word that I think they would have used. Yeah. And I mean, you know, some of that's the way it's written and everything, but there are times when I like, especially knowing that the character is supposed to be younger, I kind of relate to the character of Prissy because there's Mm -hmm. a certain amount of like, just like unjustified bravado. Yes, she's like, oh, I know everything about yes. delivering babies. Yes, basically, yeah. <laughs> she's like, I can help you. I know everything about birthing babies, I think is what she says. And Scarlett's like, okay, okay, well, at least somebody knows something. Um, and then later we, of course, find out that Prissy doesn't know anything about it. And then there's a scene, too, where um, she's trying to get Rhett Butler to come and get his carriage and pick them up so that they can get Scarlett, Melly, and the baby <laughs> back to Tara. Yes. And... She, like, won't go into... He's at the Bell Watling's brothel. She won't go in because she's like, my mom would wear me out. But she's, like, screaming for him. And then she's like, please come help us. Like, Miss Melly had her baby. And Red's like, Scarlet, like, helped like helped with that? Like, basically, like, Scarlet delivered mm-hmm. a baby? And Prissy's like, well, it was me and her. Like, immediately is <laughs> calm. And it was like, well, it was me and Miss Scarlet, but mostly me. And it's like, which definitely wasn't the case. And so, like, that kind of bit of just, like youthful mm-hmm. unjustified bravado like I, f- I feel like everyone can relate to a yeah. little bit i will say without the knowledge that she was that young i found her insufferable and useless <laughs> yeah but, <laughs> but she's not supposed useful. to be like a 10 to 12 yeah. year old yeah exactly like totally she's she's supposed to be much younger um but uh scarlet sent prissy to find dr mead to yes. deliver the baby prissy like strolls back singing a song like oh it's fine scarlet gets really mad yeah I think this was the second or third slap she delivered to people. In yeah, this Scarlet slaps, slaps a lot oh of people. Um, but then she just goes and tries to find Dr. Mead yes. herself. But this scene <sighs> at the train yard. This is cinematography is at its finest. Um, pro- I'm going to say maybe the most iconic shot of the film. Just purely like shot. I don't know, probably Scarlet in front of the sunset. But the ending the shot end. too. It's, yeah, it's it is hard. An it's hard to pick. Shot. Um, <laughs> but she, so she goes to the train station to find Doctor Mead, and she starts walking, and she's going through like these wounded and dying men, and the camera starts to pan out, and there is just now this is on a train yard, so yes. out in the open, outside, got yeah, some completely, train tracks crossing. yeah, but in general, a completely open space, and it is just rows and rows and rows of like wounded and dying and dead and she's picking her way through the rows and there are people coming in and out with stretchers and um oh i always like tear up at this scene because it's so beautiful but the the score kind of swells Mm -hmm. and it's a very slow starts with taps and then goes into a very slow um i think they changed the key a little bit they did they put dixie in a minor key and we're playing it over taps which Oh my gosh. <laughs> it like gives you chills and like that, it, oh, that to me is also like score at its finest. Like mm-hmm. it's 
it's taking music from the period and like transforming it to give the emotional impact and like story context that you want. And like, as it continues to pan out at the final, you know, stage of the pan, you see like the tattered, dirty Confederate flag. And it's like, you, like you're watching the death of the old South. Like you were watching, you know, this person, Scarlet's into like the last shred of her world is going. Mm -hmm. And like, is she going to be able to survive that? Right. Um, Now I do want to again, emphasize the scale of this scene. So Everybody looks like little ants. Yeah. Well, and, and some of so it was like dummies. Here. Well, they had like dummies too. And some people had like parts of dummies, like an mm-hmm. arm from the dummy next to them tied to their arm. So like when they moved. It was, but it's incredibly yeah. impressive the scale that they were able to, yes. to do that. And it increases the effect so much. Because again, you're just, this is the scene I was talking about when you're just like, what a waste. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I love that shot so much. Um, but yeah, she finds Dr. Mead and Dr. Mead's like, I can't help you because look at all of these wounded and dying Mm -hmm. men and I can do more for them than I can do for Melanie right Right. now. And basically he tells her, he's like bringing a baby in the world is the easiest thing ever. And Ian and I are both like, uh, easy for you to say (laughs) you're not the one doing it. Well, so that's why we had uh, lots of, uh, death in childbirth until we had more medical interventions. Yeah. I mean, I was going to say that like granted, like there's no penicillin yet either. So like infections running rampant in this entire thing. It's just a cluster. It's fine. (laughs) Medicine was a cluster back then. But that gives us the opportunity for one of another awesome lighting opportunity. So first off we find out that Prissy did not, because Scarlett's like, okay, it's you and me. And Prissy's like, oh no. <laughs> so we get a, that's when we get the slap, I yes. think. Um, and there's a beautiful shot where Scarlett's like, okay, well, go like boil water, get all the linens and sheets you can find and stuff. And then you hear Melly calling Scarlett, and she just turns and you, it's the shot is first from like behind her as she slowly walks up the stairs, and then it cuts to her face and just like the look of like determined fear. Yes. On her face is so good. And then there's another beautiful, like, silhouetted scene where they're actually, like, the childbirth is, like, actually taking place. And that's where I love the lighting because they were in, they were so dark, they were just black. Mm-hmm. And you see the blinds with a little bit of orange. Like, yeah, it's like a sunset, I think. Or it's starting to, like, or the fire, preclude yeah. the fire that burned Atlanta to the ground. And, ah, uh, just another gorgeous, mm-hmm. gorgeous lighting. There's, there's not an ugly shot in the entire film. I'll, I'm now. I now have to rewatch it and look for ugly shots There's just to not, prove you wrong. <laughs> screw you. Just take my word for it. But yeah, and that's when you go have Prissy go get Red, and he brings a carriage that and a horse that he stole. Yes. Um, to pick them up, and I he kind of he tries to get Scarlet to just go with him. Yeah. And without Melly. Yeah, and I I like that Scarlet's like, no, I'm going home. I want my mother. Yeah. And breaks down basically and you see you know Rhett comforts her and everything is like oh okay then so they all get into the carriage and we get this like wonderfully tense scene of them fleeing Atlanta as it burns yes and we finally get the point where Rhett is like okay I'm done go the rest of the way well first I want to talk a little bit more about them fleeing Atlanta because I think the facts around how that was shot are really cool so that is the first thing from this movie filmed it was done to raise the back lot or at least part of the backlot that they had been given to make the film. 
And so there's like a very big, like rectangular structure that you see like completely on fire and it kind of collapses inward as you see like the carriage with like scarlet and red silhouettes going mm-hmm. across the front of the screen. Um, that was actually the gates from the 19, I think it's 33 King Kong. Yeah. Yeah. So and, one set yeah and it was like a, a very sophisticated like system of like pumps doing like gasoline and water to like control the flames. Like, the entire fire department was out there. Um, that is actually so. I think Clark Gable might have been cast at the point. That point, Scarlet had not been cast yet. Um, Interesting. So yes. that's not actually no. Vivian it's Lee a in that, it's a it? stunt double basically, which is why she's covering her face for so much uh... of it. Actually, Vivian Lee met David O. Selznick, the producer on the film, at that event. It was like an event that mm-hmm. happened. Her her agent at the time was his brother. And the agent introduced them and was like, well, this cool. is going to be your Scarlet. Because she wanted the role so badly. She was like, uh-huh. this is going to be the, like, the role to have. Um, mm-hmm. Which like she wasn't wrong. Like The whole search for Scarlet was like a huge deal. Because everybody had an opinion on it. And there was no like clear choice out the front. Because everyone agreed. They are like, Clark Gable is Rhett Butler. Like, <laughs> duh. It's funny that you say that. Because that seems to remind me of how they went about casting Harry Potter. So another super popular book where it's like, okay, we have to search for the lead. Yeah. Everyone's got their opinions. Well, and you know, it's interesting too, because like, I don't know if there was really anything interesting behind like Leslie Howard getting cast as Ashley, but, um, Olivia de Havilland actually had to fight for the role of Melly because she was under contract to another studio and was friends with the head of the studio's wife. So was able to like finagle getting loaned out for the role because she want actually really wanted to play Melly. And they were like, no, 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 you don't want the role of Melly. Like you want Scarlet. And she's like, no, 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 I want Melly. Um, yeah. And so they actually, when they were doing costume tests too, Melly in the book is described as very plain. Mm-hmm. And Olivia de Havilland was very insistent that Melly be plain. She was like, they did a couple of screen tests where they like put me in like curls and like dressed me up to be very pretty. And she's like, no, no, no. In the book, she's plain. So plain. So they like added to her widow's <laughs> peak and yeah. all that stuff. So I mean, the ca- the casting is top It's very notch. good. Yes. Yeah. No, I I can't believe I glossed over the fleeing Atlanta scene though because so everything's on fire. Literally everything. <laughs> everything is on fire and there's the like tense moment where there's like the boxes marked explosives and the fire is going towards them and they have to like get that out of there. That was a little, I was like, did you really need that? No, I'm in. I'm all in at that okay point. With I'm it. all in. I, I liked it because it is very tense. It's, you know, obviously like logistically to make it happen, it wasn't super simple, but like, it, mm-hmm. you know, the way it's staged and like the concept behind it's pretty simple, but I think it's very tense and like fun. Oh yeah. Agreed. But yeah. So now, good. now we can skip to, um, when Rhett and Scarlet part ways, part ways. Thank you. That's <laughs> the word I'm looking at, phrase I'm looking for. Um, this was again, I think, an incredible use of Technicolor here. Mm-hmm. So Rhett is like, okay, come down off this carriage and give me a goodbye And she's hug. so and pissed she's off like, he's leaving. She's like, how dare you leave me? Yeah. But again, she's thinking about herself, like, how am I going to do this by myself? Yeah. When I love, I love Rhett's response where he's like, haven't helped the Yankees if they capture you. He's <laughs> yes. like, I, you're going to be fine. I know you. Exactly. But this exchange between them where Rhett basically forces himself on her, I was like, eh, this is a little, this is kind of icky. Yeah. First of a couple times. Yeah, when that their, their relationship gets a little icky sometimes. Um, but the background, they're lit in this scarlet red of the fire mm-hmm. in the background. And I'm like, oh, ho, ho. it just heightens. I was going to say that might, that's there. one of the other iconic shots is the background of that and then the, him kissing her. Yes. Um, to be clear, he just kissed her when yeah. I say he forced himself on yes, her. But, yes. 
Um, um, but like she, she's still mad because she's like, "How dare you leave me?" And then Red has this very interesting um, change, and I think you see it a little bit earlier when they're in the carriage and they're driving, and there's um, a line of Confederate soldiers marching away, mm-hmm. and they're very clearly very beaten down. And um, Scarlet's like, "The fools for getting us into this mess. Now you can be proud that." you um were right and like didn't get involved in this and the red's like you know what i'm not so proud and i i think that's where you see this interesting change in red where he's starting to to think a little bit beyond himself and like you know i'm gonna go ahead and say the confederacy not the cause people should really get behind yeah (laughs) but i think the idea at least from a modern stance behind that is that red is now thinking of things beyond himself he's like you know thinking of like community a cause like you know it's it's not the self-centeredness i'm the only cause i care about anymore for him Mm -hmm. so now to kind of gloss over their trip back to Mm terra they have to like hide under a bridge you can tell that their horse is like just driven to death literally Mm -hmm. the horse collapses when they get to terra but there is terra and it is still there yes because previously they go through 12 oaks Mm -hmm. and it's burned um, and all you see is the giant staircase that scarlet had cried under and walked up earlier and i think that's where you really see the change in her character where she is like okay this is real now yeah and that's i think that's to me that is the point when scarlet decides she's going to survive she says it in a bit in another iconic quote and beautiful scene but like i think that's where she is like i'm going to survive and there's like a little cow there and she's like let's tie up this cow and you're like old southern belle scarlet would have been like i don't know like she just wouldn't have done that to me like i think that's where you just see what this war and this experience has like done to her and you see the like she's got the fight that Rhett said she did yes and the practicality to go behind it like she is extremely sharp and quite frankly i think that is wasted in the old south where she's just doing her little chess game to marry who she wants and whatever yeah i from an intellectual standpoint and from a like even a businesswoman standpoint i think she's given much more she's very sharp she's very practical Mm -hmm. um and like i think that's where we start to like see this coming through um, but yeah, like you said, she gets back to Tara and Tara's still standing, which yeah. is a huge deal for them. Oh like, yeah. They have shelter. They now like their their land is still there and mostly usable. Like yeah. yeah. But the scene coming in is uh it's lit perfectly for it's it. again that's like oranges and reds and, and it's yellows. dark and yeah. gritty. Which is exactly what you want. Because this, yes, this movie definitely fluctuates between, you know, at the very beginning of this first half, it's all bright colors. You know, all the women are in the giant flouncy hoop skirts. All the men mm-hmm. are in their very, like, polished, tailored suits. Um, it gets very gritty. Yeah. Well, and it's perfect for this, though. Oh, because yeah. Because you get to hear the story of Terra and how it housed the troops and how the troops have ransacked the place. Yeah. And how Mrs is dead yeah oh god that whole bit so scarlet gets in i think it's her dad who opens the door and he's very gaunt and just very clearly out of it he looked like an axe murderer to me it was it was like creepy yeah as hell. it is it's very creepy and of course she gets in there and i think you know one of their like i think it was supposed to be his mr o'hara's valet poke is still there mammy's mm-hmm. still there and of course prissy's with scarlet so um and then 
she finds out that her sisters were sick and she's like, where's mom or where's mother? And Mammy's trying to tell her gently. She's like, well, you, you know, your sisters were sick. She was nursing them. And then, well, and didn't, and I think she I, also went to nurse the slattery, the white, the trash, white trash slattery girl again. Um, <laughs> and she's like, she came down, it was ty- typhoid, I think. Yes. Yeah. And she's like, well, she came down with typhoid and you can see that on Vivian Lee's face that like, she registers what happened, but she doesn't want to hear it. And so then she starts like kind of stops Mammy. She just starts being like mother, mother, and like calling for her mom. And then basically walks into the room where her mother is laid in state. And yeah. it is creepy AF and also gave me nightmares as a child. But the lighting, again, and colors were fantastic. Because so it was this yellow, yellow, greenish. From like, like yes, yes. Because there's like a greenish oh. hue on the mom's face. But it's like the yellow from like the candlelight and stuff. Yes. And Which, fun fact, in theater, you will almost never see green light because it makes everybody look sick. Well. So in this case... Perfect. Highly effective. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, and then Scarlet, you know, breaks down and stuff. But because she is Scarlet and she's a survivor, she gets back up and she's, you know, walking to go talk to her dad. And I love that, like, you know, like Mammy and Poke and Prissy are coming up to her with these things and they're like, you know, we don't have any money. We don't have any food. Right. Like, Miss Melly and her baby, like, are not doing great. And Scarlet's just like, I'll think about that tomorrow. And that's mm-hmm. the first time we get her. I'll think about that tomorrow. And that's part of, I think, what makes her work so well is she's able to compartmentalize what she immediately needs to deal with mm-hmm. with what she can push off. Yes. And I mean, and it also comes back to bite her a little bit too in True. the end um, at sometimes. But, you know, she goes and talks to her dad and we can tell that her dad's lost it. Scarlett's like, well, shit, guess I'm head of family now. Yep. But the final scene here before intermission, I love. So she's going out to the field, into the dirt, finds, as Maggie puts it, a dirt carrot, which (laughs) I say all all carrots come from the dirt. But this one's had the dirt on it. (laughs) She takes a bite, is a little bit sick because she hasn't had anything to eat. Yeah, and and it's a dirt carrot. (laughs) Yeah, a little dirt never hurt anybody. But you get this close up on her and the whole way this part is lit too is like you know the like sunset colors in the background and she's very much kind of silhouetted and in shadow but you can still she's lit just enough to where we can see her expression yes and she's like as god is my witness well it's the you know they're not gonna lick me yeah if i have to lie cheat steal or kill as god is my witness i'll never go hungry again and it's, it's pans amazing. out, the score swells, and we see her silhouetted against the sunset, fist in the air, and it's oh, oh, so it's a good. Perfect end to that. Well, and it and it shows you how far she's come from the. Yes. Eh, the, she was kind of a floozy at the beginning. Well, it's like it's like the petulant, self-centered Southern Belle, which you know Scarlett is still a little petulant, still a little self-centered, but like sh- you can tell that she's hardened. Yes. Well, and it's she's self-centered, but now it's like I'm self-centered about self-preservation. Mm-hmm. And you see, especially with the way she brought Melly with her to Tara, how that extends to the people yes. around her. I think it's very clear that she now knows her own capability and like her that determination. Well, what used to be stubbornness mm-hmm. is now very much more determination. Yes. And it's it's such a good character arc. Oh yeah. Okay, so. We've already run at about an hour just talking about this first half. So I think we're actually going to split this up into a two-parter. Um, don't worry, we won't like make you wait the full like two weeks. 
um, between parts. But um, just, you know, for the sake of time, I think it'd be a good idea if we split this one up. And I mean, it's long enough to be two movies. So It really is. Um, but yeah, so that's the first half of Gone with the Wind. We'll keep you posted for the second. Yeah. Um, so in the meantime, if you want to find us on social media, we are at Best Pictures Pod on Instagram and Twitter. And if you want to email in, we are bestpicturespodcast at gmail.com. And with that, I'm Ian. I'm Maggie. And we will see you in not two weeks, but a shorter period of time than that. Maybe a couple days. Yeah, we probably don't know a couple yet. days. We'll figure it out. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening. Bye.